Mmm, wine. Now that I have your attention, I want to welcome you to our podcast and introduce you to this episode's sponsor, Vinovest. You may know that I grew up on a vineyard, so I was very happy when Winnowest approached us with the cooperation. They enable you to invest in fine wine. You can do this to diversify your portfolio or simply to get to know great wines, since you can get your wine also delivered home to enjoy it. Or you can do both. To learn more, use the link in the description below. Startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from Startuprad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the founder of the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies, Startup.io. Radio. Today, I like to welcome Henrik. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Joe. Uh, I'm doing well. First of all, thanks for for having me here. Very uh, happy to be uh, part of the podcast. Yeah, totally my pleasure. Let us tell our audience a little bit about you, and then we can get into the interview. Um, first of all, uh, they may recognize the pale gray background you are calling in from a phone booth in Berlin because your company is physically located in Berlin, but officially headquartered in a little town out on the outskirts of Berlin called Potsdam. And what are you guys doing with Finoa is you are in the process of building Germany's first crypto bank. Is that right? Well, yes, you can certainly call it a crypto bank. Uh, I mean, in crypto, the terminology bank is probably not always the most uh, commonly used. But uh, if you let's say compare to traditional use cases, um, yes, we provide financial services for crypto for our institutional uh, um, um, customer base. And that out of a regulated environment. So yes, it's a crypto bank focused on B2B clients. Uh, don't worry, we are not necessarily a 100% crypto podcast here, so we can say a crypto bank and you won't get <laughs> beaten up for it. What I found interesting, going a little bit in your CV, you've been actually Fulbright Scholar attending Golden Gate Universities. And as the name already suggests, I do believe it's somewhere pretty close to the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Yes, it is. It was uh, in the heart. It is in the heart of San Francisco, um, in, in downtown. It's pretty, yeah, not known in Europe, I would say. But uh, they have a great relationship with Fulbright, the scholarship that I was happy to receive. Uh, my dream was it to study in San Francisco, and then in, what was it 2013? I got the chance to do my master's degree uh, in downtown San Francisco. Um, definitely one of the best years uh, in my career so far. Great, and you also did an MBA. A. Um, what, what I found pretty interesting about you, you've been a trainee at Siemens. Yeah, the big, uh, the big company that does almost everything, I would say. And then <laughs> Gigaset, was it actually like the handheld uh, phone devices there within uh, Siemens? <laughs> That is true. That is true. They used to be a part of uh, Siemens still when I when I joined. So I applied for Siemens back in the day. In Germany, it's kind of a, a common concept that you have sponsored uh, bachelor degrees. So uh, corporates pay 
uh, for your uh, for your for your studies. Basically, you give up a lot of freedom because you not really have uh, any student life, um, but at least you have a bit of money in the pocket. Uh, that's what I opted in for. Uh, and then while I was there, they they sold that handheld devices, so literally the 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 pre mobile phone uh, kind of era. Um, and they, they carved it out as Gigaset. And, uh, anyway, what I learned doing that MBA, uh, doing that bachelor degree is that I wasn't really ready to work for a corporate player just yet. That's why I just headed off after, after graduating and, and then went to San Francisco to, to continue my studies. Very nice. Um, the two typical questions associated with San Francisco, maybe three. Did you, uh, did you visit the headquarter of one of the popular tech firms there did you see great white and did you experience an earthquake <laughs> <laughs> i think i can say uh i can say yes to more, most of it um so the earthquake i did actually feel uh, very small but for german standards that was already uh, um, a life-changing event i would almost say there's there's no such or not really such thing in uh um, in germany um and obviously i i was falling in love uh, with the tech scene there. It's like I was going from, from Twitter to Google to Uber. I had friends working in the different, in the different tech players. And in 2013, most of them were not as big as they, well, Google was, but, but Twitter, Uber, they, they were not, weren't as big as they are now. Um, and I was really stoked. I was getting into interviews and was really thinking, Hey, I'm going to stay in San Francisco. We're going to work in tech here. Uh, Then to figure that my Fulbright scholarship, which I was so happy to have, uh, wouldn't allow me to get a work visa afterwards. They would send me at least two years back to my home country to bring the American culture back to back to Germany. Um, and then this plan to stay in San Francisco kind of collapsed. And that's when I decided to go back to Germany. Then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That sounds pretty promising. And then you ended up as a consultant with McKinsey. You told in other German podcasts, you've been working a lot with financial service institutions. And then at one point after almost, uh, after a little bit more than four years, uh, you decide to jump ship and start a startup. Can you take us through this journey here? Yeah, no, happy to. Um, yeah, so I started in McKinsey, what was it, 2015? Um, and um, Well, still think it's a it's a great uh, it's a great school. It's a great uh, place to to learn. Very bright individuals to work with. Very international as well. But I somehow knew from the beginning that I wouldn't want to let's say make partner uh, in in a consulting firm. Um, I just had had different plans, and uh, I never really knew in the beginning, you know, what that was. If I just wanted to uh, jump back into let's say the industry, uh, into tech industry whatsoever, um, or if I want to do something. On my own, I always had this feeling that there could be something um, um, in entrepreneurship that really uh, excites me. And um, I luckily got the chance with McKinsey to do an MBA. Um, so I could kind of get out of the hamster wheel of consulting, had uh, a year uh, in beautiful Madrid in Spain um, to focus on what I want to do next um, while getting the MBA. And uh, I was getting into crypto just before I went into the MBA. So I started investing Uh, into Bitcoin, uh, that was 2016, the first time uh, and playing around with the technology. And then during the MBA, I was thinking, well, uh, there's so much potential. The technology is so interesting. There's so much potential disruption in the financial industry. For, so basically for the clients that I was serving at McKinsey as a consultant. Um, and then together with my now co-founder, uh, Chris, who I uh, knew from McKinsey and who also ended up doing his MBA in Madrid, 
uh, and we ended up living in the same uh, apartment. And on our kitchen table, we started ideating, well, what's next? What's coming after the MBA? And uh, that was basically the, the first brick uh, um, that we laid down ba uh, back in the day of what is now Finoa three years later. And how did you come up with this idea? I mean, it's um, you incorporated sometime in April, May 2019, and you then in 2021 raised 22 million in a Series A, which already for Germany is quite big. Um, how was your way from, oh, let's do something in crypto to really raising big money? Well, yeah, that's actually a, a longer story, right? I mean, um, oh, don't, don't, said... don't worry, guys out there, if you're <laughs> listening right now, get a snack, press pause, exactly, and, and we'll be back with you. <laughs> I have a coffee. I'm I'm getting started. Um, so no, but I mean, as I said, we, I, my my co-founder and I, we were both uh, getting into crypto. We were both ready to. To, to jump ship from from consulting and we were really thinking okay crypto is so interesting so much potential great technology but what does it really take to become a mainstream market and especially 2017 when we started ideating um, crypto was very niche it was very retail driven it was a lot of providers which had arbitrary jurisdictions that they were operating in so you would find companies in malta in gibraltar in the seychelles offshore um, and uh, very little projects at the end that were based, uh, for example, in the European Union or based in our home country, Germany. Um, and we said, well, um, if we believe that this is really going to go mainstream, um, it needs also uh, to have teams and companies based in those, let's say, more, let's say, stable, more established, uh, also maybe regulatorily a bit more strict environments, uh, even though crypto wasn't regulated back in the day. But what we always thought is it's going to come, like regulators are going to put regulation under under supervision um, and if they do that we want um, we want to be part of it because I think that was really uh, what we believe the 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 lever or the, the the trigger for for global adoption and for really mainstream adoption um, and um, out of the own experience that we had when we were investing into crypto um, as, a, as a private individual it just never felt really secure it was always like some shady uh, platforms that we were using I needed to manage, I remember, 13, 14 different exchanges, wallets, platforms to kind of build my own portfolio. Um, and that was just me with a few hundred bucks. Um, and then I was thinking, well, my clients at McKinsey, the institutional investors, etc., if they were to start investing in crypto, they would have no partner to do that with. Um, they just wouldn't have a regulated counterparty anywhere. You wouldn't find anyone in the European Union. And there wouldn't be that service that kind of combines their needs. And that's when we decided then to really build a service, a financial service uh, and the technology to serve institutional investors who want to go into crypto and help them grow uh, their crypto portfolio. And three years fast forward, that exact that is exactly what we are, what we are focusing on, exactly what we are serving. Um, and, and that gives you a bit of the background and the backstory, uh, how we started and why we thought Uh, it was the right, uh, let's say, um, um, target market to focus on. Then that, I mean, when you look a bit back in crypto, and for those who are not in crypto, you just look at the, let's say, global market capitalization, you can see that end of 2017, the, the market reached an all-time high back in the day. And then in 2018, it really dropped uh, and, uh, into the so-called, or what we call now, the crypto winter. And that was exactly the time when we 
thought about raising funds from venture capital. And we had a really hard time uh, convincing in, uh, institutional investors, uh, that was 2018, 2019, uh, to, to convince them to, to invest into a, a crypto startup. Because, you know, crypto was kind of... Uh, seen as as uh, like yeah not so uh, much of a bus industry anymore a bit cold uh, not not a really hot topic um, and it took us almost a year to raise our seed funding round and uh, anyway we kept on building we kept on uh, believing that the market is going to come we build our product and then what we saw in 2020 uh, was that uh, crypto really started picking up again right the crypto winter was certainly over. Uh, we saw massive market entrance, uh, uh, new use cases, and the overall market uh, uh, capitalization really increasing. And we were ready with a product. We could start serving customers. Um, and that then basically, uh, after a great year 2020, led to our uh, Series A funding round, which we then announced uh, in Q1 this year, uh, where we were then lucky enough to, uh, for German standards, that's completely right, uh, to raise quite a substantial Series A. I mean, by now, uh, Series A funding rounds become bigger and bigger in, 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 in venture capital funding. But uh, back in the day, uh, we were really stoked to be able to to um, to raise this with Finoa, with the team and the, the company. Um, and that gives you now a bit of the story where we started and how we ended up with our Series A fund rates. Mm -hmm. um, talking a little bit about more Finoa here. Um, what I took from, I uh, listened to some of the interviews you did there. Um, first point, uh, you don't get 22 million just for promises. Um, I heard in one of the interviews that you're already doing millions in monthly revenues. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yes. Uh -huh. And I heard, uh, that of course you have the crypto holdings of institutional investors. So you're not dealing with private clients. Are private individuals really able to get an account with you or do you say, ah, no way? Um, we don't rule it out. So we do have uh, private individuals um, who decide that Finoa is the right, uh, um, the right product, the right service for them, um, which as our product is actually focused on, let's say, larger holdings, institutional investors are obviously then um, private individuals who hold a substantial amount of, of, of crypto assets. Um, and they, come to us and work with us as well. It's not our target market, but we uh, we also don't uh, don't turn them down. We do have a certain, let's say, minimum threshold where we say, hey, this is customers that we, where it makes sense with our service offering to help them uh, mm -hmm. um, um, grow and, and safeguard their crypto. Um, but the actual target market, market is really the institutions. Mm -hmm. what, what is the threshold you're talking about there? It's currently around 100,000 uh, uh, euros in, in crypto assets. Oh, it's not like in private banking. Uh, you're welcome if you bring more than 5 million US dollars in investable assets. Okay, I see. No, not, not quite like that. Yeah. Uh, you, you spilled a few names when you've been talking in another interview. At the time, you said you had 280 customers. I think it's fair to assume that there are now over 400. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the target range we are we are approaching now. Absolutely right. Um, and I mean, over the last years, especially with the with the um, institutional adoption um, that really picked up um, over the years 2020, 21, and 21 with with a fantastic year in, in crypto in general. Um, 
that obviously also played into into our our use case into our target market where uh, more and more institutionals which are not only let's say the crypto natives but also coming from a more traditional background starting to uh, diversify their their investment portfolio with crypto um, with a certain allocation mm -hmm. um You, you you also told in another interview that you are uh, that you're uh, that you are holding the crypto assets of Rocket Internet, for example. Any other famous clients you can talk about? I mean, it's 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 somehow you call it banking, right? And in banking, <laughs> there's banking <laughs> there's secrecy. Client client privilege, no. But we have a few clients which, where we uh, uh, openly talk about. I mean, another uh, uh, let's say more. Uh, traditional uh, um, from a traditional background is, is T Systems. It's a subsidiary of Deutsche Telekom, uh, where where we have a great uh, relationship with. They build infrastructure in crypto. They are paid by networks in crypto, and they need to hold their treasury uh, in crypto. And that's what they what they do with us. Um, and um, then, I mean, we have a full range of customers across the globe. Um, um, not very, let's say, only German focus. I mean, German is clearly our our home market, but we uh, have very healthy uh, a very healthy client base also in the US um, um, with US uh, venture capital funds that invest in crypto, uh, hedge funds that invest in crypto, and and uh, I like to say we have clients from from San Francisco to Hong Kong, um, so basically across the globe. While obviously our target market market is Europe and the European Union. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Um, uh, you said there you have many clients from abroad, including Asia and Silicon Valley. And you also said it's fair to assume that you're uh, uh, one of the global top five players in crypto custody. I think that's uh, with a focus on on the institutional context. That's that's absolutely fair to say. And uh, I mean, what what we really want to we see in our vision as well is that. Uh, we want to own the European continent, right? We, we want to be the number one uh, crypto player here out of out of Europe when it comes to serving the institutionals going into crypto. So they they should no way they should they shouldn't be a way around working with our platform when 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 crypto comes on the agenda uh, for for institutionals and institutions corporates in general. Um, and then obviously you have the global context, as I said, with where we have a very healthy client base and, and a healthily growing client base internationally and and that's where we definitely uh want to maintain our let's say top five uh positioning yes mm -hmm. you're regulated under the german law as a so-called crypto custodian we may take a step back for everybody who's not from financial services a custodian used to be somebody with like a huge a big vault like a huge door and they kept the physical the paper-based securities shares bonds in there but you're doing this for the clients basically you keep a lot of different wallets i would assume for different clients and they can press a button and then they exactly know how much is worth and how much crypto they have in their account with you yes that that's correct so i mean it's it's not so easy to to compare that the traditional custodians with the ones that 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 we are finding in 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 crypto it's just a, it's a completely different tech stack so uh, um it's it's while the traditional world is still to some degree paper-based right and it's still to some degree physical assets that are stored somewhere it's obviously all digital in in in, in crypto and some let's say roles in the traditional financial system which are somewhat separated you have so-called custodians then you have global custodians and you have central 
repositories without going too much into that detail. Um, that is a bit more, let's say, um, 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 within one player in, in crypto, with the crypto custodian in our case. Um, but as you completely correctly say, is that our clients, they store their assets with us. We hold the wallet uh, for them. We maintain the entire security infrastructure around it. We maintain the, let's say, regulatory framework and compliance around it. And if our customers want to want to see their assets, uh, they log into our uh, our interface. Um, and uh, if they want to work with their assets, grow their assets, uh, they can do that through our interface as well. And 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 that I, I think gives you a bit of the background how the the client product interaction looks like. Mm -hmm. Talking about clients. Um Is there really a Me Too movement? Did you see any effects when Tesla, for example, said, okay, we are taking crypto and we are investing in crypto? I would definitely say so. I mean, the conversations that that kind of started to to, to come in and also the, the inbound uh, leads um, with, regard, with regard to treasury uh, use cases so that, that company said, okay, I have a certain liquidity On my balance sheet, I face uh, more and more inflation, and I think that's even more true now than it was six months ago. Uh, I'm facing negative interest rates on substantial uh, um, um, euro or US dollar holdings. Um, I want to diversify. I want to kind of hedge my portfolio, and I think crypto is a new asset class where I can do that with, right? So, um, and I do very much believe that this this kind of Tesla news, which just made it into any outlet that I can even think of, I think it, it made it even in the yellow press, right? So um, um, it definitely helped uh, to to kind of give the market another push. Um, but I think what's important to to note is that yes, it's great that that Tesla kind of took this lead, and Elon Musk did his did his fair share there also in promoting it. Um, but important is we really to see that there was, uh, let's say, a, a broader wave, and that is still a broader wave of adoption um, um, to crypto as an as an asset class as an alternative asset in a, in a portfolio and uh, yeah that's that's really what also makes me uh, very very positive about the next years to come because still um, the global institutional uh, or the, the percentage of global institutional wealth that is deployed in crypto is still uh, um, relatively low right so the 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 The, the potential that we still see, the opportunity that we still see, and that what we also want to grow with as Finoa is still tremendous. We were just at the very, very beginning of, of, of this kind of industry and of this uh, movement, of this disruption in financial services um, with crypto and, and decentralized finance kind of as the, the, the buzzwords here. Um, and we're very happy to be part of that, that wave. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you're talking about just the start. So there's always a big competition at the beginning. And then you start to see at one point some winners. I do believe that there are other guys around. For example, uh, we had interviews in the past with Cashlink. They now have a, applied for crypto custody license. Um, there's Combase around, of course, the elephant in the room, as well as the more traditional players. What comes to mind, for example, are the global custodians like Bank of New York, Mellon or State Street. And most people won't realize this, but if they do have a big portfolio of equities, especially US-based equities, there's a high probability that they already have assets with companies like that because they, they're so big. Do, do you see um, first, a competition from traditional players, and do you see it getting fiercer in the future? Um, 
Well, I mean, in general, it's it's not a blue ocean, obviously. Like, we are not the only ones working working in crypto. And I think uh, I personally see that as a very healthy sign that, you know, the industry is maturing, the, the market becomes also more competitive. There's, there's more products in the market, more services in the market. But at the same time, what we see is, uh, and, and some of the examples that you named, is that you also have to differentiate a bit the, 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 the products, the services, kind of the target market that the different players uh, going after is it retail is it more the institutional uh, angle um, is it actual crypto assets so uh, let's say decentralized for example cryptocurrencies or utility tokens or is it more um, tokenized traditional assets you know like basically traditional securities or debt um, on new rails so on a new technology stack um, which for example cashlink is, is very active in which uh, uh, we also know very well here from the german ecosystem um, so that is an important differentiation, of course, in terms of, of product offering. Um, the traditional um, players in general, um, I mean, I've been hearing that for yeah, basically since we started, since 2017, I've been told, yeah, but well, do you guys actually have any uh, legitimacy because, you know, the traditional players will, will capture it? And I haven't seen that since, right? So I'm not saying that um, traditional players will not play an important role as well and uh, serve a, a very important, let's say, piece of the overall pie. Uh, but I think also there we will see a bit of a new shift um, because if you, I mean, you, you call it the elephant in, in the room, but if you if you look at Coinbase, it's a beautiful example, right? It's kind of also our North Star in our industry. Um, I mean, they, with their IPO, they made it basically among the top five U.S. financial uh, service providers you know, or U.S. banks in terms of market capitalization. For example, if I put myself into a into the position of a, of a customer in the U.S. of, of, of Coinbase, and even if Bank of America would tomorrow uh, um, come with a Bitcoin wallet. I think there's very little reason to to move from Coinbase to, to Bank of America, right? Because most definitely the service is going to be more expensive, and I don't think that the product will be much better, right? So um, that's exactly also why we as Finor here in the European context uh, very much see our 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 uh, chance to really grow into this uh, into this market, be become um, so. Um, um, Big also as a as a service provider with such a large customer base and with such a large service offering that um, even if traditional uh, players decide to go into the market, um, that we still have our fair share and uh, fair share of the market and be the market leader in the institutional context. And I think with great products, great technology, um, and then having the same regulatory framework on top of that, so that certainty also for the customer. Yes, that's also a fully regulated company, but it's completely native in crypto. Um, to then be also convincing enough that uh, that our customers would stick with us and would keep on coming uh, and work with us. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about like security tokens, which we may add for everybody who's not a regular follower of this channel is possible in Germany. There has been a new securities. Uh, there has been an update in securities law and basically you can now issue securities on tokens and actually our interview guest bitbond uh, which we'll link down here in the show notes made the first security token 
offering. And if you'd like to learn more about the background of the securities token law, we have an interview with Professor Philip Sandner um, talking about the law before it even became a law. So with us, you guys are ahead of the curve. Talking a little bit more about the future of you guys right now. What are your plans? Because my understanding is right now you want to be the leader in Europe. You're not only doing like the classical crypto assets. I think you could also store NFTs with you, like security tokens, like utility tokens and cryptocurrency. So is there a broader range you can do? And what what's your final goal? Like number one globally, top five globally, number one in Europe is what I've heard. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a very good, good question. So, uh, I mean, as of today, if you ask uh, probably in the market, we are perceived as a, as a crypto custodian, right? I think in a few years from now, that will have changed a bit, you know, because we started obviously with custody as our, um, as our core product. Um, but we are now gradually expanding the product portfolio. You know, like we, we started with a product which is very crypto, let's say, native. It's called staking. Uh, it's basically a chance for, for uh, investors to, to grow their assets, to create uh, additional yield on their assets. Um, and we are now further expanding into brokerage. And uh, if you look at our roadmap, uh, you will see that lending is a very interesting use case that we will see in the future. Trading in general is a very interesting use case uh, that we are working on. And um, what we really see ourselves is really this, um, yeah, I think one-stop shop for institutionals where they find when they want to go into crypto, where they find out of a secure infrastructure. So this custody piece will always be, let's say, the foundation of our service, but it will then serve for different use cases in crypto um, that, that you can access through our platform. And um, they should find their chance to grow their portfolio, to top up their portfolio, to also divest their portfolio, um, to um, create yield in the in the decentralized uh, environment, and and all that for all that Finua will be uh, um, the interface to to the institutionals, to the corporates who who are looking for uh, um, for their crypto play. Um, and um, that's very much what we are currently uh, focusing on to to grow the company into that direction to move from a let's say single or uh, two product company uh, company into a multi product company, um, and that's exactly um, um, what what our roadmap uh, at the moment looks like. I see. Um, it sounded pretty much like there's right now a competition of new brokers going on that we track pretty close, especially in our news, Bitpanda N26, of course, Coinbase, but also Scalable Capital come to mind, but they're coming from a different angle, always into retail and you're trying to do a similar thing a little more for the institutional and uh, the high net worth individual side from my understanding. Yes, uh, that's that's absolutely correct. So uh, we really uh, do not go into this in more retail um, um, and let's say low volume, uh, low investment uh, average uh, landscape, but actually focus on the on the on the larger um, um, investors who really start deploying significant amounts, so, so up to seven, eight, nine digit amounts uh, or beyond in in crypto. That's really what we build the product for, and what we target our services and the entire. Let's say, uh, um, yeah, say customer service operations for to really uh, tailor our 
um, our products to, to the customer group. And um, the neo brokers, for example, who then, let's say, enrich their offering um, um, with crypto um, in, in, in their trading engine or whatsoever, um, they could rather be a, a, a partner to work with where we in the backend serve um, as the, uh, let's say, B2B uh, partner to, to, to safeguard the assets and uh, to enable further use cases um, while the actual, let's say, retail business uh, sticks with the new brokers. If you wouldn't have said the last sentences, I would have asked if there's a, one of the new broker clients you could talk about. <laughs> that, uh, as I said earlier, we have very few customers that we talk about and uh, then there's a lot which we don't. <laughs> Okay, uh, just just a few small questions to wrap it all up. Uh, basically, when you applied for the license, there was a legal framework for it and uh, the German oversight body of financial services. What do you have? Uh, the FTC in the US, the SEC uh, is in Germany, BaFin. And basically, when you went there and applied for a crypto license, they did not say, oh, what's that? But they knew what to expect. Did did you feel this like in working with the regulatory bodies? That's a new business and they do not want to completely stamp it out, but encourage it? Uh, yes, I think in general, we can we can say that the, the, the relationship with the regulator in Germany around crypto is, is very positive. Um, I mean, what you could see, obviously, as well, is that over the last years, I mean, the, the crypto asset custody license in Germany was introduced in the German Banking Act by the beginning of 2020. So it's, a, it's around two years old now. Um, and what you could see as well over the time that obviously the regulator understood much better how, how crypto and the ecosystem um, operates, how it works, um, what the different business model looks look like, what the value chain look like, what different let's say, tech and uh, and product plays look like. And uh, you could see that also time over time in the conversations that, that there was um, this, let's say, learning curve uh, between the industry and then the regulator. Um, and in general, I think we can be very happy in Germany that, um, that the BaFin took this early approach to, um, yeah, at the end, regulate crypto because that opened a lot of conversations with, With uh, investors, for example, who are um, who need to, or who are forced to work with regulated counterparties, uh, so for us that really uh, um, was very important and it opened uh, um, a lot of doors that may have been closed uh, before. Um, and uh, yeah, that being said, uh, we um, I mean it's always the same, right? That also with with an industry that is so fast evolving, and I like to say that you know. Fintech is fast, but but crypto is warp speed, right? Uh, it's really uh, even working in the industry. It's it's to keep up uh, with the market, which is 365 days, 24 hours, right? There is the market is always open, uh, and to to keep up with the with the innovation that is happening uh, already takes takes quite an effort. Uh, and then just put yourself also into the shoes of a, of a regulator, right? Which which has to kind of um, 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 who's trying to put some guidelines, some sandboxes around. Uh, around certain business cases, but then those business cases are already evolving further and further. Um, so um, um, what we really see also as our um, as our to-do here, and I think I speak for the entire industry, is to really keep the conversation going, to, 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 to exchange uh, what we see is happening. Um, and up to today, I can really say that both the regulator 
as well as the lawmakers, so for example, the German financial ministry, they really show the interest uh, um, um, to understand, to to help, and uh, and at the end also create this new um, 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 labor market at the end. You know, because here in Berlin we have a very strong crypto scene by now with uh, a lot of larger players as well, which at the end, uh, um, um, yeah, create jobs, create. Uh, taxes and um, I think that's really something what we should uh, focus on that this continues in a healthy relationship mm -hmm. also it provides a unique talent pool that would pull in additional companies as well I'm talking about German Vollkasko mentalität meaning full insured mentality um, you provide uh, insurance for the digital assets um Well, it's it's a yes or no. Um, and what is not the case is that uh, crypto assets do not classify under, um, uh, for example, as as a um, German cash uh, account where you have this, uh, at least for private individuals, where, ha where you have this 100,000 uh, euro um, um, guarantee basically from uh, from from the the banking association and 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 the state at the end. Um, that that protects the assets that that are uh, um, in, in in the bank accounts, but we don't have that same um, um, let's say logic for for crypto assets. They're just treated in a different way. Um, but obviously, we as an industry, we work on um, yeah our own setup, our private insurance uh, models as well. Um, but th that being said, what you can see is that I mean, insurance in general works with statistics and history, right? And crypto is such a new market that we just don't see, uh, let's say, a mature insurance market just yet. Uh, while we see a lot of, let's say, new uh, products and services from insurance coming into the market, it's still quite a way for them to fully, let's say, cover the market, cover all the different use cases, uh, um, because custody is one thing, but then you have staking, then you have decentralized lending, uh, um, and, and all those come with their own risks um, um, that both the users and also the service providers as uh, ourselves um, um, undergo. And then obviously where insurance is, is demanded for. Um, and there we definitely still see a bit of a, let's say, uh, a creation uh, phase and, and, and sort of an infant state of Uh, the use cases that we see in the market and the insurance policies that are available from from the insurance providers. Um, but again, that's also one of our um, yeah, big to-dos that that we work with the, the insurance uh, market um, to to provide uh, the service coverage um, accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, another question, basically, when you've already said, so there's services you do not provide, but you will provide in the future. Um, I was, I would be a little bit curious when I talk to Tangany, a company that offers crypto software. Um, I was asking how high is your level of paranoia there? <laughs> And I got the completely expected answers on the highest possible level. Um, I assume you're the same. Do you have any additional like, uh, safeguards in place, like internal controls? other people would have not. For example, you talked about like 24-7 trading, like in Forex. I know a few Forex traders, they have a alarm set. And basically, when your US dollar cross rates drop under a certain amount, even 2 a.m. Sunday morning, they got woken up. You as well? Well, 
I think paranoia is is a very nice concept. I think who, who's not uh, <laughs> in paranoia who works in crypto, I think uh, um, then something's wrong. I mean, obviously, um, we at the end what we do is we provide security, right? Security on our on the assets that are that are, that are stored and, and managed with our uh, with our platform, um, and that in 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 return means that customers are trusting us so whatever we do uh, we have to re reconfirm the customer uh, in the trust that he that he puts into our into our products and our services into our company um, and that we can only create by being paranoia on our side right so uh, obviously we have 24 uh, 7 um, um, a team uh, on the ground that is that is uh, observing uh, our platform that is observing the market as well um, that's that's just how how it is in crypto. It's it's a market that just never stops. And as I said, we also have customers from across the globe. Um, so um, it's not that it's German business hours nine to four, and then the market closes. Uh, that is just not existent for us either. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's a very different business model as in traditional finance. Back to this, the the security concept. So it's an absolutely crucial in in crypto because it's a decentralized market. So any transaction that is not intended by our customers uh, um, is uh, is needs to be prohibited. So we take a lot of care about authenticating uh, the customer actions, authenticating uh, the usage of our platform, and that's what our entire business is at the end built around. And that's not only the technology, but also the processes, the organization that we build, uh, the people that we hire, uh, uh, that we need to trust in. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's. I think paranoia really puts it very nicely. I see a slight level of paranoia is always pretty good working in crypto. Um, actually, I don't want to bother you anymore. That would be like a zillion additional things I would like to ask you, but I do assume that will come around when we do an interview If the, uh, when there is a Series B. Are you actually in the process of fundraising one? Um, well, it's, it's, let's, it's a good question always, right? Like I, I get that so many times, but um, I mean, in general, we, ha we have built a, a healthy business. Uh, we have Uh, raised a very healthy Series A last year, as we talked earlier about. Uh, we have uh, um, also started generating very uh, um, healthy revenues uh, um, since a year and a half or so. Um, and with that, we are not, let's say, actively looking um, um, at the at the moment. Um, but then, as it is, uh, the the uh, environment might change. And you know, also when you find the right partner to work with, and that is really convincing in our further growth story um and internationalization then then we will see but uh let's say no concrete plans as of today so that means if an investor hears this um it's time to reach out now <laughs> that's what you said <laughs> that's what i said um henrik We are now recording for almost 45 minutes. We will narrow this down a little bit in order to make it digestible on an average commute for our listeners. I would like to thank you very much. Hope to have you back when you race to Series B sometime in the future or when you get a different license or something. I, I'm sure there will be a trigger for another interview. Until then, I wish you best of luck. It was a pleasure having you here. Joe, it's been a very nice conversation. Thanks for the invitation and talk soon, hopefully. Sure. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all, folks. 
Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring. Thank you for staying with us to the end. We would like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Vinovest. They enable you with a global network, master sommeliers and quantitative models to find and invest in the best wine. You can decide what to do with every single bottle, which also includes getting them delivered home to enjoy it with friends and family. To learn more, just click the link in the description below.